so I, w- I want to begin our time together uh, just by having you imagine a situation, just kind of like put on your imagination caps and, and uh, get, get in a situation for a moment and just kind of picture a situation, okay? So um, picture this with me for a moment. So I, w- I want you to picture going to visit some friends or family in a city you've never been, been to. Uh, maybe you're driving out to East Tennessee where there's you know, cabins and, and you're, you're sort of headed out to the mountains and, and you're on some winding roads and you're, you're headed out there. You've never been there before. And let's say your phone runs out of battery uh, and, and there's no charger and it's dark. And some of you, this is all your worst nightmare. Not that you're lost, but that your phone ran out of battery. Like that's the thing that you're really worried about. Uh, but, but you're lost, no GPS. Uh, you, don't, you don't really know where to go. And you begin thinking like, what am I gonna do? I have no idea where to go. Uh, you remember that there's a map in your glove compartment. So you're like, okay, awesome, get the map out. And you begin looking at the map, trying to look at it in the overhead light of your car, and you're trying to find the street, the cross section, and, and you find your place on the map, and, and then, you, then you begin to say, okay, uh, I think, okay, right here. So you see this big highway that, that you turn on, and you begin heading down the highway, and, and you're just trucking along, and all of a sudden you start to have that thing in your mind where you're like, am I in the right place. <laughs> am, I, am I really on the path I'm supposed to be going on? And, and, and you sort of don't see any of the, the streets that you thought you would see or the landmarks, landmarks that you were gonna uh, to cross. And, and so you pull over to gas station and you, you go into the cashier and you're like, okay, help me, help me figure this out. Where am I? Where am I supposed to be going? And the cashier does one of these numbers where they just take the map and go, okay, let's do this number right here. <laughs> so you were looking at the map upside down and as a result, you, you took a turn and, and went in a direction that you were not supposed to go. Uh, you, you'd been continuing on the path, thinking everything was good. You thought it was the right path. You thought it was the good path. It was a, it was a nice highway you were headed down. And, and all the while, you're going the complete opposite direction of where you needed to be going. I think this picture, this idea is gonna be an illustration or an analogy that can help us discover what's going on in the text that we're gonna study today. Um, I, th- I think it'll help us a little bit. So we'll, we'll come back to that um, throughout, the, throughout the teaching today to sort of like, okay, how does, how does this analogy help us uh, understand what, what Paul might be writing in this letter that we're gonna study? So um, that, that's gonna be helpful for us. So let's jump in uh, to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, page 568. We're gonna start off and just read uh, the first few verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humanity. This is the word that we're going to be studying this morning. Um, and uh, Paul here, he's, he's speaking to people that believe in Jesus. He, he's speaking to, to people that have, are following Jesus, and it's almost as if he's saying, I, I want to remind you of something. And the thing I want to remind you of is where you've come from. I, I want to remind you of your spiritual story. I, w- I want to remind you of uh, where you are um, and where you have come from. And he talks about uh, you know, this, this idea that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and he names a few things that have contributed to us following that, that direction on the highway, so to speak. So he, he names a few things. The first one he names is that we are following the course of the world. That's, that's the language he used, that we're, we're following the course of the world. And 
So I think we live in a world, uh, to maybe unpack this a little bit, that left to our own devices, left to our own desires, we not only choose to go the wrong direction on the highway, but we do it with this happy confidence that it's the right way to go. You know, look guys, this is a really nice road. (laughs) The lines are like painted really well. There's street lights illuminating the path. There's lots of people on this road. It's not too windy. This is a good road. So obviously this is the right way to go. I think Paul is stepping in here He's saying, no, 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 you need to pay attention to the course that you're on. He's communicating to us that there's a way of going through life that seems right, that seems good, that seems like uh, the people around us are doing, but it, it can lead to ruin. It can lead towards the complete wrong direction of what God might have for us. Another way to think of this might be uh, to think of this phrase, course of the world, like a river current. And so who, who likes to go canoeing or you know, kayaking? Anybody in the room, any outdoors people? You know? So you get, you get your floaty and you're in the Harpeth River. It's gonna take you down the river, right? You don't just, it's not a lake. You don't just sit there. A, a river has a current to it that will carry you somewhere downstream without you doing anything. And I think that's sort of the picture that Paul is giving us here. That naturally the world, if we don't do anything, the, the course of the world just carries us towards a particular direction. So we could see maybe or something like materialism or uh, you know, self-image in our culture might, might be this sort of current that the course of the world is just towards a, a culture that uh, acquires material wealth without even thinking twice about it. It's the course of the world. And Paul is saying, uh, you, you used to be dead. That's, that was your state. And you followed the course of the world. You just let the current carry you down the river. So that's the first thing he names. The second influence, the second force that contributes to this is uh, this phrase that he uses that he says the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the children or the sons of disobedience it's kind of a weird phrase we don't really use that language very much so maybe a a smoother translation for us might be the ruler of the current age he's talking about satan there the enemy who even at now even now is at work among people whose lives consistently uh, work themselves out by disobeying and not following god so the Bible will often refer to Satan this way, these, this spiritual force, the spiritual forces that are at work. And Paul suggests using these Hebrew metaphors that the schemes and the plans of the enemy are attacking humanity. And, and it's sort of in the air. It's, and, and he's sort of ruling currently in, in, in the world that we live in. And he's basically saying there, there are spiritual forces at work, compelling influences in our lives that are pulling us in a particular direction, away from God. That's the second force or the second influence that he names that contribute to us being dead in our sin. But the last one he names, and this is maybe the worst one for us, Paul mentions, he says that we ourselves carry out the desires of our mind and our body, the, the, the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. So it's not just that there's a way that the present age is carrying us a particular direction or the enemy, spiritual forces are at work compelling us to go this direction, but we ourselves choose uh, to, to go towards our sinful desires oftentimes. Uh, Paul, in other places, he'll write about this, this thing that we choose to do and he'll name specific things like anger or envy, uh, self-centeredness or self, selfish ambition or sexual immorality. And, and these are things that just naturally we, we choose to do. And for this reason, Paul describes us as by nature, uh, this weird phrase, children of wrath. And that's not like a super fun way to describe ourselves, right? That's not really what we, we want to say about our, our identities. This can be a confusing phrase, but, but the idea here is that our default position, even when we are born, 
uh, is one of separation, of enmity with God. <laughs> and we inherit this disposition towards sin and rebellion uh, naturally when we are born. It's this by nature, this idea of by nature. Um, and this, is, this can be a hard thing to talk about in church, you know, this like wrath idea. And so I just want to just give a couple notes on, on what this might have for us in, in the scripture. So um, I think what this is, uh, um, a way to unpack this might be that God is not indifferent towards evil in the world. It's a really important piece. God is not indifferent towards evil in the world. So, so the Bible describes God as having this anger, or having this wrath towards evil and sin, which destroys that which he created. It's this holy anger. It's not a vindictive or revengeful or just kind of outburst of rage like we might think of the word wrath in human terms. It's the place that we find ourselves in um, because we have been separated from God. And God's anger against the evil uh, in the world is a good thing, right? Like if God was cool with everything that destroyed his creation, that would say something uh, bad about the character of God, that he has emotion and care for his creation and anger towards that which destroys it. If there were no evil, God wouldn't have anger. God wouldn't have wrath. This is, this is important. Wrath is not inherent to God's character. It's a consequence, it's a response to the evil in the world. And, and Paul is saying, um, this is the natural place of being separated from God, that, that you were on the wrong road, so to speak. But I think Paul is, is not just saying that it's, we're, we're going the wrong way on the highway, uh, maybe a better way to put it is that we're headed down a downhill winding road, 100 miles an hour, no brakes, no off-ramps, and the end of it is a cliff. <laughs> I think that's a better way to, to picture what Paul is saying here. This isn't a situation where we just need a little help uh, to get back on the right track. That's why Paul keeps using this language of life and death. It's a, it's a, a situation that we're in where we're not just needing a little help in life, but we, are, we were dead, and I think there's two postures that we can take in response to you know, some of these truths, some of these ideas. I think the first posture, um, it, so, you know, someone with this first posture looks at their life and doesn't really see that it's that hard to agree with Paul. You know, they might look at their life, maybe this is you today, and, and you just sort of showed up and you're like, I, like my life is a mess. You know, I, I know what it's like to be at rock bottom. I know what it's like to feel the pains and, and the, um, the chains of addiction. Uh, I know what it's like to have my relationships destroyed by my own greed, my own self-centeredness. Like, I, I understand what Paul is saying here, and I couldn't get myself out of it. I think Paul himself would put himself in, in this first posture, right? This guy who used to, like, murder and persecute Christians, the people he's writing to. Like, he doesn't need any help to believe, man, I was apart from God. I was dead in my sin. I, could, I couldn't do anything about it. That, that's the first posture, the first group. I think there's another posture, maybe on the other side of things, where you know, someone hears this and might say, okay, like, I hear you, like, I know I have some junk in my life, like, nobody's perfect, but I, I mean, I'm not that bad, <laughs> right? Like, I'm not, I'm not that, like, have you seen John? Like, that dude is messed up. Like, that person needs some help. Their life is pretty messed up. They just don't see a ton wrong with themselves, and, and, and those people often look to others uh, who are worse uh, to sort of bolster their self-worth, to, to, to make themselves not feel as bad about who they are. And consequently, they don't, they don't need a lot of saving. They don't need a lot of help in their life. God just sort of exists to get them out of a tight corner. They can manage life without God. Um, God can offer some spiritual enhancement to you know, what the ordinary life might be or rescue them out of a difficult circumstance. I think people in, in one of these groups knows they need a savior, knows they need help, right? 
knows that they can't save themselves. And then the other group doesn't. But the problem is that all of us are in the first group, whether we realize it or not. All of us uh, naturally take that first posture of needing a savior. And Jesus is gonna talk about this several times in his life. The people that Jesus was closest to in his life were not the people in, in the second group, the people that took that second posture. It was always the people who, who came to him and realized their need, right? So you think about this woman in John 8. She's caught in the midst of adultery, like in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders bring her before Jesus. She doesn't need any help to know that her life is a mess, to know there's some, some things that she needs help with, that she's messed up, Right? And everyone fully expects Jesus to, to speak a word of judgment and condemnation and punishment. And Jesus sort of draws a line in the sand, starts drawing in the, in the sand, in the dirt. He says, okay, if any of you are without sin, go ahead and punish her. Like, go ahead and, and judge her and condemn her, but, but I do not condemn her. He like, I can just picture him like bending down to this woman and with compassion speaking, I love you. Go, like, go and sin no more, like follow me, I love you, you are not condemned. That, that posture uh, elicits a certain response from Jesus. You think about all the people of, uh, that were marginalized and oppressed that came to Jesus. All the people that were blind and sick, uh, totally apart from God. Um, those people always received the love and compassion and the grace of Jesus um, in abounding ways, right? But you think about people that took the other posture, uh, that, that second posture, these people in the Bible, um, Jesus points out a lot that, that these people called Pharisees, they were the, the religious uh, institution elite of the day, right? And over and over, these people will not recognize their need for a savior. Uh, they were known uh, for sort of trying to do the right things and not think they, they really need any help from Jesus. And Jesus will, at one point in Matthew 23, he, he'll, he'll say something to them in a pretty harsh way. This is what he says. He says, woe to you, you Pharisees, for you are hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead bones and uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity or sin. I think Jesus is saying here, there's a way that we can live life where we think everything on the outside is squeaky clean, but on the inside, uh, there, there's just death. Uh, this metaphor would have been really easy for the people in the first century to, to, to see and have a tangible picture of, this, this whitewashed tomb where they would have these tombs where they'd roll stones and there'd be these white stones that were clean on the outside, but inside there's this obvious reality that there was not life. And Jesus is giving a metaphor to, to the hearts of some of the religious elite of the day, saying you've got your life figured out on the outside, but inside... Um, there's only death, there's only hypocrisy. And this metaphor doesn't hit as strongly for us. I I wonder how Jesus would have uh, spoken into our lives today with with this idea. I I wonder if he would have looked at our social media accounts and said, I see the highlight reels. Like I see that everything's okay on the outside. I I see the conversations that that we just say, yeah, I'm I'm doing great. Everything's good. I'm going through life, job's good, family's good, you know. You've got it on the outside looking good, but what's going on on the inside? I wonder how Jesus would have addressed in our culture the ways that we whitewash our own tombs. I think that's the situation humanity is in. So Jesus, you know, 
always respond to these people in, in different ways. In, in my own confession, just to kind of let you in on my life, how I find myself in the story, so to speak, is, is that I have often in my life, if not most of the time, found myself in that second posture. Um, I grew up in a, a really nice, easy family. I, I don't know what your story is, but, but my story is that like, I had a pretty pain-free childhood, not a ton of conflict, uh, grew up in the church and kind of always like loved God and wanted to follow God and never had this huge moment of finding myself, you know, in the, in the deep, dark places needing like salvation. And like, I just never had that low, low, low moment. And consequently, it's resulted in this thing in me that just sort of naturally doesn't feel like I need that much help. And God has just had to break me of this over and over again to reveal the ways that I've whitewashed my life and everything on the outside I can think is okay. But on the inside, there's some really deep sin and messed up stuff, this pride and this arrogance, this hidden sin that I might have carried that was just as evil and wicked as anyone else. I think everyone in life, every one of us today needs a savior. Um, we don't need a savior just to get over the finish line, like we work really hard and then we just need a little help to get over the edge. Uh, we don't just need someone to forgive our mess ups and help us get back on track in life. We need a savior because like Paul says, we are spiritually dead and dead people don't choose things. We need someone to do, think, do something for us, right? No matter how good we look on the outside. So why are we spending so much time here? Like, it's sort of like some of you are like, okay, this is super depressing that we're like really going this deep on, on how dead we were, right? I want to put it this way, and this is an illustration that I've heard a pastor use before, and it, it was helpful for me. So it might, it might be helpful for you as well. So kind of using the same driving analogy that we've been using, stick on the car theme a little bit. So say you're just driving down the road in Nashville, and, and you hear and see the blue lights in the rear view mirror. They're the whoop, whoop. And everyone in the room is like, oh gosh, just fear and anxiety just filled everyone, right? And, and, and you see it behind you, and you're sort of like, oh gosh. But not only in the police car, you see like a SWAT team. Like, what is going on right now? And you can imagine the fear, the worry, the anxiety that, that sort of wells up in your heart. So what would be the difference? And this is totally outlandish, but just go here with me for a second. What if you knew there was like a time bomb in the trunk that at any moment would explode and blow up your car? The, the picture of the, the SWAT team and the bomb squad in the rearview mirror instantly moves from worry and fear to like hope, salvation, and joy, Right? So the, 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 the change between those two is that one person knows they need saving. There's something in the car that's gonna blow them up. They're headed towards destruction. And, and that picture of salvation comes near to them. The other person, there's only fear and worry. They, they don't need help. So everything that wants to change them or save them is a threat. I think that's why Paul starts here. We don't understand the depths of which God, from which God has saved us. Uh, the, the reality of our spiritual deadness toward God um, then we can never embrace the beauty and the magnificence and the deep places of God's grace and love for us. Paul doesn't introduce the gravity of our previous condition just for fun, just to make us feel bad. He's, he's drawing a contrast so he can magnify God's response. So thankfully, uh, the text continues. Uh, we're not going to stop there today. That would be super depressing if I was like, all right, let's go to communion, you know. But we're we're going to keep going. And the next two words of this text are probably... The, the best news in the Bible, the, the, the most impactful two words that you can read in Scripture. Anytime you see these two words, good news is about to follow, but 
God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This, this is the good news of the gospel. Like this is the good news that we hold on to when, when we join, when we, when we worship, when we sing, when we pray. This is what we uh, celebrate. This is the character of God. No matter how many of you in the room have this picture of God that is, um, where God has this default stance of condemnation and judgment and disappointment and anger towards you, read this and hear this again. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were at your very worst, dead in your trespasses, made you alive. He made you alive because of his grace. You didn't earn or do anything to deserve this. A a completely new reality is available here for us. God has taken every step necessary to reverse this condition that we were in. How incredible is it that God did not stand idly by to our deadness, but became human in Jesus and took on death so that we could be made alive. This is what we celebrate here. So if you ever feel like God is just default disappointed or angry at you, just read this text over and over again. Let the words of Paul here nourish your soul. I love that it says God is rich in mercy, wealthy in mercy. It's like God's bank account of mercy is deep. Uh, He he can pay for it. He's paid for the sins in our lives. I love that it says that God saved us even when we were dead. This picture of like God knew us at our worst. God, God knew um, everything that we would do uh, and loved us still. God didn't wait for us to get right, clean up our lives, show up to church, earn some things, and then give us his love. Like loved us when we were dead. That's the God we serve. I love that it says that God made us alive. You know, like, what did we do? Nothing. <laughs> dead people don't make decisions for themselves. God made us alive. So why is this, why is this important, important for us? You know, why do we need to remember this? Why is this really important for us to dwell on and think on and chew on throughout our weeks? I think it's going to depend on what posture we take in regard to this text. I think that's really going to determine how we respond, how we, how we enter into this. So some of you here today might, might feel like you've taken that first posture, like your life is just sort of in shambles. You, don't, like you barely showed up here today. Like, just made it to church, and we're half expecting to just receive guilt and shame. And that's sort of your story. Uh, man, I pray and hope today that this surprising and incredible love of God just drives out your shame, drives out the guilt that you feel for your sin, uh, that, that you would see Jesus' response to those that say, I need help, I, I need someone to make me alive, and that, that you would realize where you are and what God wants to do for you the salvation that he wants to give you in Jesus. Uh, in, in a few moments when we're worshiping, it, it, if you realize you're in that first spot where, where Paul says you were dead, if you're like, okay, I think I'm still there. I, I think I'm still in that place. I, I would really love to talk to you. I, I would just love to hear what God's doing in your life, what, what God might be inviting you into. Uh, during our time of communion and worship, I, I'll be in the back. I would love uh, to just to, to hear what God, God is doing. We'll have some other people back there as well. Some of you might, might honestly be taking posture too. Uh, you just said, sort of gone through life, you, you showed up to church because it's a way to just feel good about you know, your spirituality. You don't really think you really need a savior. 
just kind of like, I think I got it, just sort of want to get a little self-help to, to go through life. And Jesus has some harsh words for people that take that posture. And my prayer for you, for me, most of the, most of the time, would be that we would realize our need for God. We realize that we need a Savior. And if that's you today, I pray that God would break that in you, out of his love for you. Um, and I think for some of us, we're sort of caught in the middle, right? Uh, maybe you're in the room and you've received the grace of God. Like you have received this grace, this love, which has saved you through Jesus. Uh, and you continue going through life. And I think there's some ways we can get off track, right? We, we start to think, okay, I know God saved me, but now it's up to me. I, I sort of got to get through life on my own. And, and you sort of change your perspective of what God does for us, um, God made us alive in Christ, and he's the one that sustains the continual making alive in our lives. He's the one that continually brings us to life, makes us more like Jesus. So if you're in the room today and you were saved by Christ, but you've been trying to do it on your own, I mean, let's lay that down. Let's confess that and, and begin to embrace that God is the one working in our hearts. Um, I would also love to encourage those of you in the room that, that are in that spot uh, or if you, you've already received this grace, to really uh, ask God to help you see where you've come from, what he saved you from, in, in a way that would uh, create this like, deep connection of gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation for what God has done for you in Jesus. Because I think that's what Paul is sort of getting at here. Like, remember, you were dead, but God. Like, th- that should elicit something in our hearts that's my prayer today. Like, I haven't gone through this week preparing the sermon and just had this overwhelming sense of like thankfulness and just appreciation. I've been like, God, like, why don't I feel this? Like, why isn't this fully in my heart where I'm just like so thankful and I just wanna like outburst in worship? Like, that's just what my prayer is today. God, I need you to help me grasp the weight of this. Maybe that's you today. Uh, but wherever you are, whatever posture you sort of are taking, I would encourage you to, to reflect a little bit on that. And then see what God might be inviting you to do, whether that's to lay down some things or, or lean into some things uh, during communion. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go into a time of communion. Holy Spirit, um, God, I pray that, that you would just destroy the illusion in our lives that, that we don't need you, um, that we can go through life without you. Um, I pray that you would dismantle everything in our culture that would send us down that current. Uh, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy that would tempt us towards believing that. I pray that you would help us grow into more like Jesus so that uh, we begin to choose um, following you over the ways of our former lives. Just help us, Holy Spirit. Give us clear eyes into our hearts so that we can know where we are And then, Holy Spirit, I I invite you into this room uh, to come and penetrate those parts and and touch us and and help us take steps with you today. Uh, We need you, God. And we, we ask this in your beautiful and powerful name, Jesus. Amen.